0: Greetings, errants, glitches, breakaways, thought criminals, and genuinely open-minded and outright curious inhabitants of whatever simulacrum we find ourselves navigating at the moment. You are about to set sail on another free first-hour episode of The Melt. If you find yourself wanting to dig deeper and have the desire to join the conversation during our monthly Melt meetups, you might want to consider becoming a monthly subscriber. For a measly five dead presidents per month, you can have access to full-length, early and exclusive episodes just click the patreon or locals link in the episode notes below to create the timeline that will set it all in motion it's suspiciously simple altogether painless and just might inspire feelings of bliss and or lingering euphoria so without further ado let the conversations begin The topic of egregores obviously is not a new one, but not one that we've really covered on the melt. So within the last couple of years I had heard Mark Stavish's name mentioned in the same breath as egregores and so I decided to research both egregores and Mark. I learned that an egregore is an esoteric concept that represents a non-physical entity that arises from the collective thoughts of a distinct group of people. I also learned that Mark Stavish is the Director of Studies at the Institute for Hermetic Studies and is a lifelong student of esotericism with over 25 years experience in comparative religion, philosophy, psychology, and mysticism with an emphasis on traditional Western esotericism. His articles have appeared in academic specialty and mass market publications specializing in spiritual studies, making Mark one of the leading authorities in Hermeticism today. In addition to being a member and officer of several prominent Rosicrucian and Martinist societies, Mark served as the director of research for the Occult Research and Applications Project and of the Philosophers of Nature. The Philosophers of Nature was founded by Jean Dubois in France in 1979 and for 20 years was the leading resource for practical information on mineral and plant alchemy as well as Kabbalah. The Occult Research and Applications Project, a statistically based research wing of the American branch of the philosophers of nature, performed detailed exploration into the validity and practicality of various traditional esoteric methods. Original research from the Occult Research and Applications Project was published in the organization's journal, The Stone. So. What better way to learn more about something than to have a conversation with someone who is well-versed in the subject of one's curiosity? I start off the conversation by asking Mark what brought him to subjects such as magic, hermeticism, and egregores.
1: Well, as I've stated many times in many interviews, uh, this was an environment that I was around. Uh, I grew up next to my great-uncle, who was involved in all of the major movements of the 20th century and his father, of course, came over from Silesia, uh, which at that time was part of the, uh, I believe West Prussian empire. And, uh, they practice a form of folk magic, which is sometimes referred to as powwow or brauka or braukurai. And, uh, that was fairly well known among the Pennsylvania Germans, although he was not of that extraction. And, uh, In fact, his uh, experiences were much broader and included knowledge of the general uh, Hermetic milieu. So you would have uh, Paracelsus, uh, but mostly more like uh, Jacob Bima and uh, Agrippa, those types of Mm -hmm. uh, characters. Trithemius. So within that framework, I mean, uh, astrology and out-of-body experiences, and I mean, tarot was uh, was novel. You know, when my mother had tarot cards in the '70s, that was novel. Her, her great aunts were, were doing the old school, tar- the old school card reading. In fact, I, I just had the decks out. I didn't bring them over for the camera, but, you know, the uh, they've taken a kind of a renewal in the last ten years, five to ten years. We've seen a revival of some of that, mm-hmm. and I have some of the original decks from the turn of the century. Cool. So, nice. And of course, uh, then as uh, I entered my teen years, I would go to. Uh, lodge meetings with him. And he was always greeted as like the elder statesman. So that was always fun.
0: So you sort of grew up in that environment. It wasn't something like you were rebelling against being brought up an Orthodox Christian or something like that. It was more no. just in the air.
1: Yeah. And there was more, kind of, I, I did get a degree in theology. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have an undergraduate in and a graduate in, uh, thera- in uh, uh counseling mm-hmm. so uh with I did my master's thesis in uh, psychosynthesis, so that was nice.
0: What does that involve psychosynthesis
1: well, that is um well that was the problem as Roberto as always <laughs> said it it's too broad, it has no boundaries uh-huh. uh, but it was an all-encompassing uh, view of uh, psychotherapy that included all aspects of consciousness. Ades uh was a, an Italian Jew. Uh, his family was involved in theosophy, that is Blavatskyan theosophy. Mm-hmm. He said that his uh, period in prison during the fascist regime was probably the most productive time of his life. Uh, so uh, it's a, that type of environment in which psychosynthesis was not simply... a elu- Well, he was the first psychoanalyst in Italy. So he was the first Freudian in Italy. Oh. And then, of course, you had Jung, and then you have, mm. you were talking about these higher notions. And as Jolie says, well, there's all of these notions. Uh, psychosynthesis never really took off as I, I think it could have. Uh, it was uh, fairly popular in the 70s into the 80s with the human potential movement.
2: Mm.
1: Yes. Uh, and I believe it more or less, it hasn't gone away. I recently did some research. It's still strong in certain uh, areas, but you know, areas that we would think geographically would be the, uh, the typical places where you would find it in New England or Southern California, Northern California, places like this.
0: So what led to you establishing, uh, and I don't know the history outright, whether you put it together yourself or with a group of people, the Institute for Hermetic Studies, what led you to, to feel inspired enough to do that?
1: Well, there was a conference here that was sponsored by the Flossers of Nature, which was the American sister organization of a French alchemical and Kabbalistic organization founded by Jean Dubuis. And uh, there are many people who responded to it. This was back in the day when you could put a conference up and people would just show up. You didn't really have to do much. So they enjoyed it. Russ and Sue House were the ones who came to uh, present. They were the uh, folks who the the burden and responsibility had fallen to for for that organization. I say burden and responsibility because people don't understand how much work is truly involved in these things. Absolutely. And uh, oh, sure. And uh, uh, people liked it. So we said we will start a local study group if you like. And things kind of moved along nicely. And eventually we started a, a local study group independent and it was really meant to be local in fact we, we picked a name that was almost going to keep people away you know because <laughs> this is like the mid-90s late 90s called the wyoming valley society for esoteric studies that way if you didn't know what esoteric was you know we would keep folks out <laughs> yes, <for> sure. <laughs> and you know what i'm referring to here you know? yeah yeah, yeah <laughs> so- exactly Uh, And we had a lot of people coming in from New York, New Jersey, D.C., uh, Boston even coming down, which is a considerable haul. Mm -hmm. So uh, the organization had rented quarters and did very well uh, until 9-11. We had a lot of folks who were involved in emergency uh, response. So we kind of began to hit a slide after that. And about two years later, we decided to go to special events only. And as special events continue to go on, we we had uh, conferences here and there and, and the seminars. And then around 2011, we had a event in upstate New York, which someone said, hey, let's record this. So we did. And that became our free course called Unfolding the Rose which is kind of the foundational course. We've been using that ever since. And then we just started recording all these other events and realized, hey, let's, let's do this in an organized manner. Mm -hmm. So we weren't just having the sporadic speaker coming through. And, uh, and then by this time, there is a body of material. I had already published three, four books by this point. And it was much easier to then start generating a lot of our lesson materials and monographs and this type of thing. So. Probably two years ago, we put everything up on Teachable, and previously we had it on YouTube, but someone had vandalized our YouTube channel, so you know things went missing and that kind really? of stuff so, wow. people do stuff. you never know why. so we took it over and put it over on Teachable, and then we've been able to add even add more programming to it. We have coming up a uh, a six week class on the three books of occult philosophy by agrippa we've had classes previously on specialized aspects of a uh, classical astrology uh so like in, in agrippa and some of the earlier texts there's different ways to find the name of your daemon or holy guardian angel whatever you want to call it and so we had a class on that how you do that using classical astrological methods and uh we've had really spectacular courses on uh how new thought even links into uh, hermeticism through the German Romanticism, okay, natural philosophy and natural magic. So we've done a a wide berth of things, and uh, we're probably, we've kind of announced it in a soft way. We're seeing also some growth of interest in establishing a, a sister group in Europe, So we have IHS Europe and they're going to be doing things in English initially, uh, because it is the lingua franca of, of that peer of really of, of the world. But they'll also be hosting, uh, events and articles in various European languages. We do have folks who've translated some of our works into, uh, French, excuse me, not French, but Russian, Portuguese, uh, and German. And, uh, of the official publications, that is through Wiser and Inner Traditions, and well, and uh, I've been translated into uh, German, French, Spanish, Portuguese, Polish, Russian, Bulgarian, and Estonian, and wow. it's a little bit of Turkish. So uh, there's a lot of information out there for a lot of folks. Yeah, it's fantastic. It is.
0: I, I haven't looked into Hermeticism a whole lot, so I'm. Is it, would you say it was more of a of a magical discipline, more alchemical? Is there an easy way to classify it, or does it encompass a lot of different things?
1: Oh, you can look at it as the survival
3: of pharaonic Egyptian thought. As understood in the fourth century A.D., with a synthesis of Christianity, Gnosticism,
1: a touch of Jewish mysticism—we wouldn't call it Kabbalah at that time—probably a good dose of Theravada Buddhism, interesting, uh, and also probably old oh, Greek astrology. And probably three or four other things that we can easily point to in there. And it it becomes synthesized into various views, oh, classical theurgy, of course, uh, in Alexandria. And if, like anything, you know we, we tend to think of movements as
3: very organized
1: Because many people coming from monotheism, uh, there's you know in the various sects you know it's usually monotheism what you're uh, the various Christian sects or aspects of Judaism or Islam so we tend to think of it as very hierarchical and very organized and structured and things aren't always that way you know and, and often for the longest time they're they're very organic and they're very uh, dynamic particularly in their early years and Hermeticism
3: is that undercurrent
1: of spiritual practice of personal initiation, but also collective initiation. When I say collective, I mean working in groups, small to medium groups. Okay, And that purpose of initiation is, of course, self-awakening, self-knowledge, and to overcome many of the obstacles and burdens that people would encounter in daily life. It is really about survival of consciousness. You know, whether you want to talk about overcoming samsara or Maya or the demiurge or however you want to phrase it. You know when we use the duck test, you know, you know does it look like a duck, walk like a duck, quack like a duck? Yeah. You know at the end of the day, it's a duck, and and that duck is trying to survive. Okay, and survive what? Well, we would say in the not the nothingness, the void from which everything comes. So if we want to say what is hermeticism all about? It's principally about a self-awakening that allows us to create a sense of self that can survive the original pressure of being. That's really not much different from what you see in the various schools of yogas, Taoism, or the Tantras. But we would say now, courtesy of the Renaissance, that the principal areas of focus would be astrology, alchemy, uh, symbolism, which can take the form of either general meditations or ritual or ceremonial magic of some kind. So, so when is,
0: we th- I'm sorry, go ahead, please.
1: So when we think of modern Hermeticism, meaning particularly that of the late 19th and early 20th century with the occult revival, those would be the three things we think of the most. Okay.
4: What would be the benefit of knowing the name of your demon or your guardian angel?
1: well your daemon is uh not a demon a daemon <laughs> you, you, really I, I you, per-
4: you
1: probably got a personal one of those too you know, on each shoulder or you know. <laughs> who's whispering in your ear you yeah know? exactly <laughs> that's right use her scissors she'll never know <laughs> <laughs> that's right use the good ones um the In theory, the advantage is, is that it is a kind of key to your inner self. Mm. It's a personal mantra, for lack of a better term. Mm. So instead of having some uh, chant or vibratory power given to you by uh, an external teacher, lama, guru, teacher, friend, what have you, or from a book, this would be uh, an inner or personal way of, of realizing those capacities to some degree.
0: So it sounds like there's different degrees of the practices, some of which are to um, maybe influence internal change and some maybe to manifest some sort of external change in our lives. Would that be a good way of?
1: Well, it's always uh, interconnected. Now, when we talk about personal awakening, it's always internal. But there's going to be a reflexive effect because of that famous hermetic axiom, that which is above is like that which is below, and that which is below is like that which is above. Mm -hmm. So the interconnectedness is there. So as Paracelsus said, you you can't transmute without what you have not first transmuted within. So when we look at external factors, the world is really just a, we could call it a mirror if you like, it reflects certain things to us. Or we could say it's a litmus test, a way of verifying certain things. One of the great problems we have in all spiritual practices is that self delusion is incredibly easy. Sure. And in alchemy, at least, there's no self delusion, because either you transmute something or you don't. Sure. Uh, In certain
3: aspects of magic,
1: for lack of a better term, I'm using that to include even a lot of non-ritualistic but uh, mental practices. There's a certain test in the sense that either something has happened or it hasn't. So either you've made a prediction that's come true or it hasn't. Either the healing has taken place or it hasn't. there are certain object, you know, objectifiable markers. Not everything is completely subjective. But when we get involved in this inner work, we're really getting into our subjective states, and it can be very tempting to get lost in there, because that power of imagination is the key. Yeah. And the imagination, according to the ancients, and at least into the Renaissance, was that facet of the human mind that allows us to connect with the invisible, the divine.
3: Um, what was I going to say? So, okay, to simplify that as above,
0: so below, would that mean that it's sort of hermeticism exists outside of dualism? wants to exist outside of dualism. Dualism doesn't play a part in it at all, or...
1: No, well, we exist within a dualistic framework, but dualism isn't the ultimate reality. Mm-hmm. I mean, so I'm here, you're here, there's time, space, that's dual, duality.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: When we work even within the psychic dimension, there's duality. Mm-hmm. It, it's stunning how, how easily that is just simply not known or ignored. Mm-hmm. You know, you have these so-called dimensions or spheres of being. That means duality. The days of creation are phases of, of development, phases of existence coming into being this. Well, that's phases of duality. And it may be on cycles or scales that are fundamentally incomprehensible to us, but it's still duality. And our goal is to, if you want to call it a goal, is to realize uh, the temporary nature of that, the, the not say unreal, because it is real, but not ultimate state of that. that. That is not an ultimate state.
0: And why is it um, preferable, I'm assuming, to explore these ideas and do these rituals and stuff in a, in a community, in, a, in an organization? Is there something to be had there as opposed to practicing solo?
1: Sure, <laughs> because it's dangerous.
0: <laughs> sure, you can step into some things that you don't anticipate, I'm sure.
1: Well, if you don't, you're not doing it right. Yeah. I mean, this is the reality. This stuff, if you were happy with your life, you wouldn't be doing this. So you're not happy with your life, and you go study some spiritual system, whatever it is, and and maybe it's something as as wonderfully, uh, as vacuous as The Secret, but at least it's something in that direction. Sure. It's something. Yeah. Well, then, in order to change your life, you've got to shake things up. Well, what happens is you you have revealed to you the obstacles that you're facing so that you can change them or transform them. Mm -hmm. But if you don't know how, if you don't know what's going on, it just makes things worse for you. When you're dealing with a useful tradition, a healthy one, what you have is the entire collective experience that's come before you. So, I mean, if, if you want to start working on your engine on your own, that's fine. Go ahead, take it apart. See if you can get to get working again. Or maybe you could use the manual. Or maybe you could watch some YouTube videos. Or maybe you could ask someone who knows how to do this. Or you could just go to school and learn and save yourself all that aggravation. I mean, I was joking with some workers uh, had here. They're doing some tile work. And uh, I joked with the guy. I said, you know, I could have done that work in half the price in four times the time, as a quarter is <laughs> as, as good as you. <laughs> now, we, we laugh at that because we know it's true in the physical dimension, but somehow sure. over the last 20, 30, 40 years, people have come to think that, you know, spirituality is just because you have to do the work yourself, that it is a do-it-yourself get. Mm-hmm. And how, if, how do you know that any of those
3: books you're reading are worthwhile? got to dig your feet in there and uh, try them out. Okay. How long are you going to be on this planet?
1: 80-ish years. How much years? time do you have to waste? <laughs> Not a whole lot, unfortunately. Okay. So if you want to waste your time as a do-it-yourself kit,
3: go right ahead. What do you think of disciplines like, or maybe a lack of discipline, maybe, maybe that's not a good way of putting it,
0: of practices like chaos magic, where it is sort of a do-it-yourself do collage sort of situation?
1: Oh, people ask me this one all the time. In fact, I, I had a, a spectacular conversation uh, about this with... Uh, uh, Stephen Davies, who translated the uh, Gospel of Thomas, he, we were joking. he said, he goes, you know, Mark, this, this is like my best-selling book. It just keeps going and going. It's taking out a life of its own. I said, well, then, yeah, because it's a great book. You did a great translation, you know, and we laugh about it. And, you know, we are talking about chaos magic. Well, one of the things he said to me, he goes, well, I, you know, he retired from teaching. He says, you know, I got out just in time. I was teaching at a, a Catholic university, and I couldn't teach Uh, comparative religion because none of my students knew anything about Christianity. Not even fundamental Sunday school stuff. And there they are, they've gone through Catholic school, they've gone theoretically to church, and they know absolutely nothing. Now, within that framework, let's say, okay,
3: chaos magic. In theory, what it says is true. But it's not going
1: to work unless you really, really, really are convinced of the efficacy of the practice. Mm -hmm. So if faith, we'll call it, is the foundation of all these practices, faith in yourself, faith in the practice, faith in the teacher, faith in the teachings, faith in your fellow practitioners,
3: then do
1: you have enough to make it work is the question. And what does work mean? Because if it's just, you know, getting some stuff, I mean, magic like is really about moving things around. It's not necessarily about
3: ultimate realization. Then,
1: still, your benchmark is acceptable, but your benchmark is uh, relatively low. Speaking,
2: mm-hmm.
1: it's not. It's not something to be ignored. I'm not saying it's sure. dismiss it. I'm just saying on the scale of things, it's relatively low, operative word being relative. Okay, so now where are you going to take this chaos magic? What is your organizational structure? And again, how much time do you have? Sure.
0: You're saying it's uh, uh, disciplines like chaos magic are more about reality manipulation as opposed to trying to achieve some sort of enlightened state of mind.
1: The folks who I've spoken to, that's always what they're focused on. It could be others have different views. But, you know, your, your practice, if we're going to call it a genuine spiritual practice, not simply a, a form of uh,
3: psychic technology,
1: which is concerned only with duality. If you have a genuine spiritual practice, you have an aspect of beingness in there. Not necessarily transcendence, but an aspect of what is ultimate reality which means your practice has to serve you in the here, but more importantly, it needs to serve you in the hereafter. And, and that's what I'm finding a lot of folks aren't grasping. That does your practice serve you in the hereafter? And, oh, I don't know. Well, you better find out because you're, you know, you're, believe it or not, your ticket's punched and that train is going to, you know, pull into the station and, and you're going to be getting off. So, you need to know what your destination point is. Now, if you don't care, it doesn't matter.
4: I want to ask you about symbology, because it seems to be that there's this, this trend now for symbols to be used in what seems to be, to me, a very pedestrian way. So you'll go to a shop and see pentagrams and uh, Baphomet or, you know, just some some what could be considered a dark energy symbology that's being sold to kids, like young children even. What are your thoughts about the power of these symbols being placed on... Someone who's innocent, who maybe doesn't necessarily understand uh, the uh, meaning of those symbols, but it's cool to them because it's it's something that they see at like a hot topic or or one of these shops in the
1: mall. I love the term pedestrian. <laughs> Seems apt. <laughs> it is, and it has to do with foot. Putting your foot down on something that is kind of trampling under
2: uh-huh.
1: an aspect of uh, kind of dismissiveness, even sacrilegious. We call what you're talking about is occulture. That is the occult moving into the popular culture. And it's happened at various times. Uh, this is probably among the strongest. The problem with it is, is that it's dis. Uh, the symbolism is disconnected from tradition. Yeah. So to dismiss it is to, you know, it's like when folks are wearing crucifixes as a fashion statement, you know, or, okay, well, you know, anything else, just because it doesn't have meaning for you doesn't mean, it doesn't have meaning for someone else. And by someone else, they don't necessarily mean the person sitting next to you on the bus. Right. And this is where we get into the notion of what is spirituality. There is a tendency to think in very selfish terms, that is myself, my path, what I want. give me the book, give me the seminar, get out of my way. Help me because I am you and I'm in need. Uh, you know, like we're like we live in little pop- up boxes, you know, oh I need you, and then yeah you know, so. That kind of selfishness, I don't want to use the word narcissism because it's so abused. and uh, It really is selfishness, self-absorption in a negative way. Uh, We see in that use of symbols, too, as if you can just take things and plug them on. Well, if they have a meaning, and that meaning can change over time depending on how they're used, uh, they're attached to what we would call an egregore, a collective consciousness of some kind. And I, I remember years ago, maybe 10, maybe about 10 years ago. I'd have to look it up. I have the essay around here somewhere that I wrote. I to Dunkin' Donuts. It's a nice day. You know, it's sunny. I got to meet somebody down there. And he's just taking his time, right? So I grab a coffee, and this girl, all of maybe 18, maybe, is waiting on me. And she reaches out, and I can still see it right now, and she has this tattoo on her wrist and I can see it, it's a goetic sigil and I said uh, oh, uh, who's that? and she said well, it's a sigil, I said, I know what it is I asked you who it was (laughs) and she looked at me like you know, and I said oh, don't judge, I said, I don't have to I said, but just remember this the life is in the blood you feed that every
3: time you breathe. And, you know, people I know with tattoos are horrified when I tell them that. They're horrified. Because, it? you
2: know, she,
3: she, she, oh, she was shocked, uh-huh. you know. I said, just, you know, just remember that, as long as you have a good
1: relationship with it. Well, and that's it. You know, people do stupid things. You know, they think they're going to put the sigil of some demon on and you know, it, you know it's going to just be hip and cool. You don't know what you're putting on, what phone number you're dialing. Yeah, exactly. I, I remember one place I worked, this was great because it was a Catholic institution and uh, it was a spectacular building built in 1915. It was just great. Uh, and I was in charge of the uh, restoration of its chapel, which was probably the best project I ever had. <laughs> <you know? laughs> and one of the workers there, he had some a lot of body art. And I had a painting on my wall in my office. Trying to remember what it was, what the name of it was. It was a famous
3: one. You would have recognized it from the uh what were they
1: called? Oh, that body of English romantic Pre
4: Raphaelites. The
1: pre Raphaelites, yes, that's exactly it. And it was uh the crystal ball and the woman is standing there with a Mm. crystal ball. The book is open. The skull is there. The wand is over and she's standing on checker four. And I had that in my office and my boss, you know, he didn't know what to say about it, but I said, dude, this is what you want me to do. You're always asking me to gaze into the crystal ball. (laughs) This This is my job. You know, I got, I got to tell the future for you. And, uh, there's some stories there too. So this guy, anyhow, he, I said, Hey, nice tattoo. He had a tattoo of, uh, uh, what was it a sigil from i think the greater key of solomon of jupiter on his on his one arm so he, lift, he goes come he lifts up his shirt and he's got tree of life front and back on both oh, sides wow. you know and i said oh, i said i hope i said i hope they got the hebrew right i mean you know you know busting the stones about it right i don't really care <laughs> you know and um i think that that type of activity is in some ways counterproductive to one's work Mm. because you have to be selective about what type of quality of energies you're you're working with and you're inviting into your life and into your life stream and into your life force which we said the life is in the blood uh and in that case it would really be the nefesh uh within uh, that person their pranic field isn't for the listeners your pranic field your energy okay that something like that so
3: anyhow uh when we look at all these symbols
1: in day-to-day life we have to recognize that we're really doing ourselves a disservice by overloading ourselves And we're particularly doing ourselves a disservice by having too many of them in a practice because you can't, your mind does not have the capacity to organize and synthesize them effectively to be useful to you. That's why when you have a practice, you often are told to have a very narrow set of things. Mm -hmm. So even if you have multiple initiations within a particular school, what you have in front of you when you practice on your altar or anything like that is still very limited to that practice. Mm. So you may have lots of stuff but for the period of practice it's or whatever that is for 7 days or 7 weeks or 7 months or 7 years it's it's just this. Mm. So that you can focus your attention and in that focus you acquire energy. You acquire capacity for work. Because all of our practices should increase our capacity for realization. And realization brings with it not only knowledge, but inherent energy as, as well. Or what you might say in the yoga, as they might call Shakti, we would call it uh, the, the vital life force or energy is inherently increased with that realization.
4: It's interesting because uh, we have a son who's 14 years old who is kind of playing with different costumes right now in his reality of, you know, trying to figure out who he is and what he, what he is about. And he has adopted um, some symbols that I don't necessarily think are consistent with who he is as a person. And Chris and I have talked about this back and forth and you know, Chris's attitude as he has communicated to me is that, you know, he's, he's figuring himself out. He's kind of, kind of playing with this, this imagery. And what I said to him was it doesn't really matter if he believes in these symbols or these energies. What matters is that people for thousands of years have believed in these energies and he is potentially connecting his energy and his body and his life force by wearing these symbols around to that, that, that stream. Do you think that there is a way that you can carry yourself or protect yourself, where you can wear a pentagram or, you know, have the tattoo of Baphomet on a t-shirt or something that that you wear around as though it's on your skin, but it's not. Do you think that you can separate yourself from that or are you absorbing some of these thousands of years of um, energy?
1: Well, it all depends too on the images. I mean, if, if you've got the typical Baphomet of the tarot card, you know, depending on the decks even, it has this, that really does have a different connotation than, say, the Baphomet of the Church of Satan.
2: Mm.
1: And even then within the Church of Satan and those different satanic groups, they have different interpretations as to uh, what this really means. Uh, so at the end of the day... Y- your connection is weak, mm. but okay, the connection is weak, but what is your connection to that is strong? What is your strong connection? So if all you have is this weak connection to these teenage, angst, rebel without a clue symbols,
3: which is what most of it is, what is, what is on the other side of that?
1: Do you have a strong connection to something? You know, weak force, strong force, you know, weak magnetism, you know, stronger magnetism. So what are you, what is pulling you and and pushing you through your life? So I think that for a lot of folks, a lot of kids, you know, it's not a big deal. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, I'm reminded of, you know, the old satanic panic in, in the 80s into the 90s. But even within that, there was reason for concern i th- it was it was beyond i'm going to say because i was there at the ground level mm-hmm. it it was it was insane i i mean i have recordings that i had to give at that time to for district attorneys and for you know social workers and i wasn't that old myself i was fresh out of college and, Friends at you know, children and youth say, we need someone to know, I don't know anything about this. We'll find out. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't like you had easy access to things. It was difficult.
3: So trying to explain to people that
1: particularly then, when people had very strong beliefs still, uh, that, you know, this really isn't a big deal. This is just some teenage acting out. Yeah, well, that is, but this might not be over here and to the untrained eye all they see it's all the same thing right yeah it, that's that's the issue so to the untrained eye and that would include the person wearing it it's just you know it's just a cool fashion statement mm-hmm. yeah but what they don't understand on the invisible the invisible doesn't see it that way
4: exactly
1: so again the connection isn't strong but They don't have, unless you have something that is stronger still, which if you did, you wouldn't be wearing it. Right. Uh, Where does this period of ambiguity lead you? That's the question. And a lot of folks, they'll be okay. But you don't want to be or see your kids among those that aren't.
4: Exactly. And he's now been given cards that are tarot cards to conjure demons. And, and, you know, I just where I land with all of that is that I don't want to charge it with rebellion where it's like, oh, we don't like this. So now this makes this even more attractive and alluring because it's it's getting a negative reaction.
1: Were, were those the Goisha cards that someone made a few years back like spe- they were specifically now just so the listener knows and so I'm clear on this too these weren't you just your general tarot cards no these were a specific deck of cards specifically designed for yes and uh, it says yeah.
4: it says in the pack this is to conjure right. demons
1: and, and I've okay so we're talking I know the decks here there's two or three like this I just yeah. want to make sure we're talking about the same one yeah and that that you know I, I had a friend well I, well, I, I still do. Uh, but I'm had meaning the experience for them is some time ago um, who their son was doing something similar. And and I said, you know, really, this is just not good for you to have. It's, it's bad for your shop. It's bad for the image. It's not healthy for him. You really should stop it Uh, politely, just with your son politely. Just say, we can't do that here. Come do something else. There's a lot of other things you can do. Let's do that. And, you know, she ended up coming down. I went in visit her one in, she's in the hospital with this really weird blood disease. You know? And, you know, I just said, Later, hey, I said, so Listen, you know, these things feed on blood. It's what they do. You don't, you need to understand that. You need, you know, you can't have them doing this. You got to stop this. this. Is a nice person, someone I like. I really do. But, you know, they couldn't set couldn't set the appropriately firm boundary when it was needed. And that was a boundary that was needed. Now, is there a time and place to deal with what we'll call incredibly aggressive forces? Sure. That's just not it. And most people aren't there. Most practitioners aren't at that place. We joke about that now. In fact, when we look back to, again, going back to the satanic panic, 80s, early 90s, Mm -hmm. uh, the neo-pagans, particularly the the witches, were... very strong. See, we're not witches, we're Wiccans. Of course, the witchcraft revival of the 60s and 70s, which they're riding on, which had the really interesting stuff, gets transformed sometime in the early 80s into an a eco-feminist uh, religious movement by mm-hmm. uh, Starhawk. So, yeah. and, with, and with that, it's transformed into a kind of uh, Celtic revival mm-hmm. approach. OK, so it's very different from what was happening 10, even 10 years earlier. Right. And this this rides into the present with some minor variations. Mm-hmm. But they were strong saying, you know, we don't believe in the devil. That's a Christian construct. We're not. I, I used to I used to coach them. OK, now, when the media comes up to you. Do not say we are not Satanists. So what was the first thing these morons would say? <laughs> <laughs> OK, so, yeah, you, you know, you can try and help them, but. And I say that because there's so the view within Wicca at that time and magic at that time was so adamant of being not being confused with that stuff. Mm-hmm. And we joke about. It. I joked about it a few years ago, starting on some of these podcasts. I said, now flash forward in the last five years, the explosion of gourmet grimoires focusing on uh, demonology and focusing on witchcraft as involving Satan. It's like. Yeah, I got to laugh at it because there's no, there's no context for it. You know, mm-hmm. the, yeah. the, 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 the practitioners, and I use that term loosely, and this is where you said about a group, why a group is important. There's, and a good group, they don't have a historical context for what they're doing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, I, I've, I've given presentations where it's not just that they don't know Sunday school Christianity. They don't even know. The names of people from the witchcraft traditions from the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And I'm not even a witch. That's not my thing. It's just part of the historical cultural right. milieu in which I've had to work and travel. So when I bring up guys like, you know, Frauder Albertus or Israel Regardi, they, they may recognize Crowley for better or worse, but and I'm not even a Crowley yet. I, I don't even bring him up. It's stunning how much collective information has been lost. Now, I don't, mm-hmm. when I say lost, I don't mean gone forever. I mean disconnected from. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's created this belief that I, as an individual practitioner, can grab this book, do whatever I totally. want. And I have, no, I have not only no connection to anyone else, but I have no responsibility or relationship to anything. This is just about me and what I want. Mm -hmm.
4: It's cultural amnesia.
1: Cultural amnesia. Perfect. Thank you. That's a great term, along with pedestrian. (laughs) She's Uh, chalking it up here. Well, you know, we need one more. Three, right? Three's you know. Uh, I'm a
4: college girl.
0: What can I say? (laughs) So chaos magic would be the epitome of that. Sort of pick and choose, you know, try on the costume and see how it fits. And so, I mean, what yeah. all that being said, is there something to be said? Yeah, now, about- if you're
1: an enlightened being, that's not a problem. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sure. Yeah, I mean, because yeah, you know, it doesn't matter, you know. <laughs> or if you're if you're closer to one, we'll just say if you're close to one, it doesn't yeah. matter because you've got the framework and the mental skill set, and you can make it work. But but if you're just the average Joe or Jane, you know, shopping through what's left of your. A cult bookstore, or, or worse yet, roaming on Amazon because nobody buys books in stores anymore. Mm-hmm. Then, yeah, or, or turn into someone that the you know, someone else say, "Well, what was the book you're reading?" You know, what I mean, you're in trouble.
0: Well, so is there something to be said about magical organizations and societies remaining relatively obscure?
1: Yeah, that's a big one now because. You know, it's, it's a plus and a minus. Uh, what you need is, within these
3: organizations, is a uh, a checkpoint. You know, in, in Freemasonry, we call that guarding the Western Gate. You had to guard that Western Gate because
1: once someone's in, they're hard to get out. Damage is done. But you need to have ways of vetting people. Mm -hmm. as they go along so what a lot of the systems did is they created degrees and degrees would be like a class and you would learn certain things in the class and that would take a certain period of time and you know they get to know you and get to decide sometimes based on the right criteria sometimes not you know if you're capable of moving forward so the organizations need to find ways to better vet members. But the problem is you have very few organizations that have large enough in-person memberships where that's possible. Most of the organizations, there's some form of correspondence course. Yeah. And then you're really lucky if you get enough people together to have a local group or to have a conference once a, to- a year. So that capacity for vetting is dramatically reduced. Now we can say to some degree that all the secrets are self-secret, that only with a certain level of inner awakening does capacity become revealed to you. But with that said, I've seen a tremendous amount of damage, particularly as the publishing industry just explodes in producing material. You know, I've written a lot of books and I tell people, look, I, I'm very grateful to my publishers, but you need to understand, they never once asked me, does any of this work?"
2: Yeah
1: they just asked me how many books I can sell yes and and that's just the reality you're in so if if you don't take the time to attempt to vet the the instruction that you're getting, and this is another part i did a I did an interview with uh, Gary Vasey a few weeks ago on his podcast, and we were talking. A, about different experiences. I said, the problem too is these organizations don't train people how to be teachers. A couple of years ago at the Institute for Medic Studies, we instituted a teacher training program. And to be really clear on that, I said, you know, when we're teaching you, we're training you how to be teachers, but to keep
3: it in perspective, We don't have the capacity or the
1: time to teach you to be a PhD, like a yeshe in some Tibetan Mm -hmm. monastery, because they have resources to do that. That takes a tremendous amount of money and dedication for that to happen. And they have a support for it. We don't have that. So I said, what we're going to train you to do is be paramedics. So the difference is you're not going to be a surgeon. You're going to be a paramedic or even a general practitioner. We're going to teach you just enough to know how to manage the situation. And when problems arise, as they will, how to manage those problems with people and where to turn for good, solid advice to manage that. Because people will crack under the pressure. They're supposed to. That's the purpose of this work. Then that, that seems to be lost. It's not just so you can get a new boyfriend or girlfriend or car or job. That's good. Those are secondary concerns and practices. But the primary concern is the reforming of your, your personality, the reforming of your sense of self, so that it can withstand the pressures of beingness itself without any other supports. The power of what we call the abyss or the knot or The Void, The Ain't Pick a Pick a name, whatever it is, but it's the original jettison point, which a lot of these schools don't tell you. They just simply don't talk about it. So you have to ask the school, you know, what is the teaching? What will it do for me? And how will I know? What are some of the signs of success along the way? And then the teachers have to be able to ascertain that as best they can. Now, they don't have to be perfect, but they at least have to know their own limits and be able to help you recognize yours. And these schools don't teach their teachers how to teach. If you are in a school long enough, you get promoted simply by surviving. Mm -hmm. And that then gives you a certain degree of authority, understandably, because resources and people are limited. But it doesn't mean you know how to engage with the deep psychological issues that may arise. Or the paranormal phenomena. I have met mean, a lot of folks, for better or worse, who've never experienced some really bizarre phenomena. And that's okay. But when it happens, you need to know what to do with it or how to handle it or the, the people it's, it's happening around. You know, one of our board members joked to me several years ago, he said, you know, you're the only person I know that has a form letter for people uh, contacting you about uh, poltergeists.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> I said, yeah, it's easier on the response here. <laughs> but it's these are serious issues that I'm I'm, I'm bringing up and that we're, we're talking about, mm-hmm. because without infrastructure, without institutional development and without building the people to build the institution and the institution building the people. You know, we shape our institutions and then our institutions shape us. So without doing that, Western magical groups are often constantly reinventing the wheel and and not not for their benefit.
3: Because the, the well of source
1: material that they go to tends to be fairly limited. So a lot of them just end up looking like variations of one another because they are and that's okay but then errors creep in about even why you're doing what you're doing where someone says you know what i don't want our rituals to look like those so we're going to create our own well okay but do you have the capacity to do that effectively what constitutes an effective ritual how what is the structural components that matter in it and how do we test that to make sure uh there's a certain degree of reliability and not that rituals are flipping a switch. There's certainly not too many people treat it like that, but there's a certain balance is what I'm talking about. And, and, and structural uh, beginning,
3: middle end purpose, that type of stuff. Why do you think that they're in the past? um, And I'm thinking
0: OTO for some reason is what keeps coming to mind that a lot of these, Organizations or chapters of these organizations, magical organizations, have degenerated into sort of like this infighting, these ego battles. Why do you think that that has been sort of a stereotype of
2: those
1: situations? Because you because you have people who didn't grow up around people doing practices, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: you know. And I had this discussion with uh, Pat Zaleski, and he's mentioned several times. It's no secret. You know, he was in the environment with the last surviving Golden Dawn Lodge, whereas other people were just reading Regardi and thought, well, this is the whole of it.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, And one of the problems with the Golden Dawn is it has no, it really doesn't have a foundational philosophical view. That's another problem. And it kind of does, but you don't get that till you're like seven equals four when they should be giving it to you as soon as you walk in the door. You know? so. You know, that kind of stuff. So you, you get folks who really want to do something crazy. They want to do something wild and exciting. I, I remember years ago, I wrote an essay on this posted in Vox Armies. You know, a guy I knew worked with him for several years in our group. He, he emails me and asks me if there's any groups around because he wants to do something different. Well, you know, that's, that's not enough of a reason. Mm. Now, one of the problems with the OTO, and I am not now, nor have I ever been a member of the Ordo Templi Orientis. Okay, so just be clear on just that. See,
2: yeah.
1: I sat in the, J- James Wasserman sat next to me once, and, and as we were waiting to pick my son up from school and say, how come you never petitioned? And my response to him was, well, because of the members of which he laughed. So <laughs> the, the point is that... um their mission statement, if I understand it correctly, is that anyone in the world has the right to petition for membership. So anyone can at least get the first degree. So I, as an organization, that's what they have, the largest number of people in that degree. But what they don't have is a lot of people further along. Now, why that is, I can't tell you. I don't know. I don't know their internal structures.
3: But infighting is because people don't understand What the purpose of their being together is. And
1: when you have a lot of new stuff like constantly being generated, it's content generation like on a blog or something. I mean, you guys know what it's like. People ask me why I don't do a regular podcast. I said because I burned through talent in a year. Mm yeah you know, and then I just have to go out and find people who are going to talk for an hour or two. and And I don't want to do that. So it's the same in these magical practices. They, they They throw a net too widely in order to find something that is exciting or interesting or unique to them, rather than focusing on a particular set of practices. And then trying to understand what that how that works. Now, if you have, continuity for 30, 40, 50, 60, 80, 100, 200 years, then you have a collective knowledge base to draw upon, theoretically at least, to help inform your experiences and your practices. But if you've only been around for 10 or 15 or five, and the only people who, the people who are in charge really aren't much more along than you, they just happen to be there first to get the charter, I think that's where a lot of the Uh, a lot of the conflict comes in with a lot of groups, not just those, but in a lot of groups. And the other one is responsibility. What I've found is, and we've had this discussion probably six times in the last week with different people in different groups, the political orientation of too many within these movements fundamentally translates into the idea of something for nothing. And they simply don't want to
3: do infrastructure building. They don't want to do
1: organizational enhancement. Mm. They don't want to build something that's going to last for their children and grandchildren. Because they don't think that far ahead. So what we have is, within the modern magical community, is books primarily written for the 15-year-old male. Right. Uh, Written by people who are probably in their 20s or 30s. So we have adolescent books, books for adolescents written by post adolescents and calling it a spiritual practice. And completely out of any context. And completely out of any context. Well, I hope that answered your questions. Um, Oh, absolutely. We covered quite a bit of ground.
0: Absolutely. Yes. uh, As I hope that we would. I want to thank you so much for taking the time to sit down and chat with us. um, And going over, I know, material that you've had out for quite a while as far as the egregores are concerned, but I think it's a timeless subject, and I think, as we were discussing, it is very timely Mm -hmm. as far as some things that have been going on in the recent past and are going on right now. So I appreciate your perspective, and I look forward to digging into more of your work. Um, Maybe you could tell the fine listeners where they can find you and your work online.
1: Well, everything can be found uh, on Amazon in terms of the literature, mm-hmm. in terms of coursework. It's at Teachable, the Institute for Hermetic Studies at Teachable. Uh, we have a blog at WordPress, and we're working on getting our different platforms consolidated. Uh, we've been around for twenty-five years, and you know the board has finally said enough, Mark, enough. You, we, we've got to consolidate these different platforms under one. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know that takes time and money and. You know, there's a lot of things I don't want to do. I've other things I want to do. Of course, worry about that. So yes. uh, I said, okay, well, you guys, you'll take care of it, Then 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 <laughs> we're we're good to go. So teachable, uh, and of course, Institute for Hermetic Studies and uh, Amazon. You can look, you know, myself, Mark Stavish, uh, and those are the best places to go. Now we do have a YouTube channel cool. with some really great stuff. Mm-hmm. So if you just uh, find us online and and. Email us at info at uh, I'll send you links to the, the better uh, the better site on YouTube, because as we said, one was vandalized, the other wasn't. So we have a legacy site that we're trying to get taken down. It's amazing. YouTube was very quick to take things down, but when you want them to, they're nowhere <laughs> yeah. to be found. You know, exactly. <laughs> it's like, like, guys, you know, we're asking you something.
0: Uh, that, that's the best place. Cool. Well, we'll have all of those links in the episode notes, but... Thank you, Mark. Uh, it was great meeting you, and hopefully it won't be the last conversation. Um, we'd love Thank to have you on again sometime. Do you have anything else in the works? Are you writing anything else?
1: Uh, there's always stuff going on. Cool. Uh, we just, you know, I wait until it's done before I announce it. Oh, that's good. That's a- When the cake is baked, I bring it out of the oven. Not That's before. great. It. Yeah, it's a good policy. <laughs> I stand behind that. Well, cool.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much again. It was fantastic. And just stick around and keep your browser window open if you can. And yeah, just to make sure that's finished uploading. So, okay. All right.
4: All righty. Thank you. It was an Thanks, honor man. and a pleasure to meet you. Oh, speak to you. Thank you.
1: I enjoyed oh, you it. As well. And, you know, I, I pride myself on having gotten many people to re- to just change their majors away from psychology and social work. <laughs> so I'd really like to include you on that list. So if I can, <laughs> you know, call me if i can't break you
4: <laughs> the goal the goal is to be a sex therapist so uh,
1: we, oh, at least it's more interesting yeah, uh. yeah
4: exactly exactly
1: yeah. <laughs> I don't awesome. even want to know what the insurance on that is. <laughs> yeah,
4: exactly. I'm only going to do the barter system, so I'll be no, taking.
1: No. <laughs> 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 oh, I, I don't know. That might not work out well. You know, <laughs> that's pretty ambiguous. Uh, yeah, that's, really, yeah, exactly. That's...
0: I'm only going
4: to yeah. deal with people who work in construction. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> who cut
0: hair?
1: <laughs> well, you're making assumptions, but at least yeah, there might be better. There's yes. probably
4: going
0: to be some overlap. Yeah, I would is. imagine. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: All right, Mark. Well, I will let you know when this comes out, and uh, you can spread it around if you care, too.
1: Well, thank you very much.
0: So what did you think of that, Fine Lass?
1: I liked
4: it. It was fun. It was super smart. I love it when I take notes, and there's things that I want to look up after we talk to someone. Uh, yeah. Yeah. cool, cool times. I'm really interested in this psychosynthesis mm-hmm. that he was talking about. um I do know a little bit very tiny bit about the human potential movement yes
0: a new thought
4: um and I have that Gospel of Thomas book, so that just reminded me that I want to read that.
0: There aren't a whole lot of books that we don't have. I know the Satanic Bible. Um, do we have that? Any Danielle Steele book no, no. that we don't
4: have. Oh, <laughs> okay. I was like, I don't think we have the Satanic Bible or any Danielle Steele. We don't. we don't. No. I do have a book written by Erica Jong about Henry Miller.
0: Yeah. Pro or against?
4: I think again. Mm-hmm. I think she was not for him. She was again him.
0: She was one of those feminist, wasn't she? Or she, I guess she still is. I think so. Unless she's renounced herself.
4: She and her daughter said that lesbians are only lesbians to get men's attention, which I always thought was I'm hilarious.
0: I'm sure many lesbians would agree.
4: She said that on Oprah once. So there it is on film. I do have the receipts, she as you say.
0: She means in the context of porn, right? No, in, oh, the, okay.
4: in the context of like bars. Like if... If two women are in a bar and they start making out, they're doing it for male attention.
0: Most likely they're going to be in a lesbian bar, though, doing that. <laughs> these days, who knows? I mean, people just do it because they have the right Taylor Swift song it's, comes on. You know, you never know. What's the song, the pop song? I kissed a girl tonight or something like that. Um,
4: that's Katy Perry. Yeah, I know that's not, yeah, oh, that's, well, that's Katy Perry. It was Katie that recent? Katy Perry. It was about 10 years ago. I kissed a girl and I liked it.
0: I kissed a girl and I liked it. And, yeah. and I blacked it out probably is what the second part of that should be.
2: Right?
4: Yeah. It's, it's on Instagram now. It's in your, it's in your, uh, what is that called? Your stories?
0: <laughs> in my Instagram? In no, one's that, Instagram. That girl gotcha. who
4: did that. Yeah. This went weird. I know. <laughs> Quickly. let <just> back out <laughs> while we can. Yeah. Quickly. Um, yes, The Unfolding Rose. That was cool. Talking I like about the title. that. Mm-hmm. Uh, event in upstate New York in the 90s that he did. I'd like to see that. I bet that's super, super interesting. Agrippa. Three yeah. books on philosophy. Mm-hmm. Yes. They have all those
0: in one. Llewellyn put out a edition p- with all three of those in one fine tome. Here? No. Oh.
4: no. Had, past tense?
0: They have already put oh, it out. They
4: yeah. yes. Oh, they have. I thought you said you had. No. No. Okay.
0: Um, I was wanting to get back to the satanic panic stuff because I'm always interested in yeah. discussing that with new people because yeah. I personally think that... Um, That was a sort of a distraction um, campaign to take attention off of real satanic things Um, like all these, uh, the false memories uh, institute or whatever, trying to tell all these people that they didn't have the experiences that they claim to have had. Yeah.
4: I wanted to. too. I love that. I
0: love. Yes, I can tell when you have something to say because your yeps get closer together. Yep, 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 It's like when you're backing in, backing out of a parking space with your car, and you're getting close to another car. Yep, 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 I did.
4: No, I wanted to. I wanted to touch back on that because we were talking about something that we've talked about ad nauseum together, but we've also talked about with other people on the show about the same subject about symbology and imagery and the connections of those things to, to the innocent and and the innocent wearing these symbols without really knowing what the symbols mean. And I think from my perspective, I think that energetically there is some uh, feeding of those beasts by doing that.
0: I can see your point of view, but I think that there's more nuance involved myself. I think it's a case-by-case basis. It just depends on what kid is wearing it. Um, And I think it is based on the intention of the producer of the shirt. If it was scrawled in stag blood uh, by a coven of naked... I don't know. Insert something, make your own mad lib. Um, <laughs> yeah, with evil in their hearts, then then right. yeah, maybe not.
4: Right. But. Okay. But what I'm saying is this negative force, this uh, negative energy that if you are linking your energy, even a thread of that of your energy to that energy, you are feeding that energy. So that becomes a ritual. Even if you don't co-sign off on that, because the agreement that that entity or that energy has made is that anything that bears my face or bears my name, I, I call dibs. (laughs) I call energetic dibs. So. Oh my god sorry so <laughs> i heard that
0: I know, in 3D sorry. surround sound
4: so what i'm saying is I'm, it doesn't matter if like if i'm wearing a shirt that says i love jesus christ and it doesn't matter how deeply in the spectrum of love that love goes i am connecting my energy with this other force. That's what I'm
0: saying. Yeah, you're stating that as a fact, but really, it's your point of view, and so is my a point of view. Um, I think that I would say, sure, but it depends on the person wearing it. Some persons may be um, have a more sense, solid sense of self, and and able to let certain things roll off their back. Um, certain. Uh, very naive people might be susceptible to being guided by certain things. I would say, who was Jesus Christ? Did he even exist? Was he the person that were led to believe he is like what he said about Baphomet, the Baphomet, whatever you want to call it. It's not as simple as that. It's not like the satanics, you know, they've kind of co-opted things. People, symbols get traded back and forth. Who knows, who knows what the pentagram originally meant. We really don't know any of that. So, uh, that is where i'm coming from i think that there's just a lot of moving parts and it's not a black or white situation myself
4: right i also think it it is it's one of the things that he said that uh, that resonated with me is that it is also contingent on the people around you, yeah. and who is supporting or influencing that sure. and in this particular situation that we are in that we talk about there 's someone that has some influence over our child who is pushing this narrative and really really um, feeding this fire this. and buying demon cards and conjure demons and uh, Right. So to me, I think that that influences and affects whether or not these things are charged.
0: Sure. Uh, I just want to remind you that this is the public part. And we did mention that other thing a part of that in the public part, too. And I would prefer not to mention in the public part. part. Right. Um, Or Either that or just go, a friend of mine does this. (laughs) Anyway. uh, Yeah. No, I understand completely but there's us too and our right. context so
4: right and that's why i i um i think it's okay to talk about this publicly because i think it's okay to push up against that and say i'm not down with that i'm not down with The devil (laughs) or wearing demonic imagery on my body or I don't have any demonic tattoos or anything. I love that comment he made to that person that was wearing the sigil. Do you remember what that, that, what he said?
0: Something about a who, who is that or.
4: No, what the blood, what he said about the blood. It lives in the blood. Yeah,
0: yeah. You're pumping blood into that or something.
4: Whoa.
2: mind blown
0: no that was a good good way of putting it for yeah sure. it's amazing made me feel self-conscious about my chaos chaos fear uh tattoo which i just thought was a cool design but
2: who knows what egregore i'm
0: exactly
4: eating. exactly i think
0: it's pretty nebulous um because that's where i'm coming from and that's the energy that i don't imbue it with so does it can't control me i control i'm i am a conscious navigator of my being yeah. and i don't let anything have any control over me and as far as that's concerned and
4: you don't make that devil reptile face that you used to make a lot before when you were eating lots of sugar so maybe you've killed the demon
2: devil <laughs> reptile face you used
4: to do this thing that freaked me out like <laughs> where you would
0: Wag your
4: tongue and
0: do the to be silly or like in a well, fit of rage. Well,
4: I I don't know. I, don't, I think some was you were channeling is what it felt like. <laughs> Interesting.
0: <laughs> I'm was, gonna. I'm gonna. There are several comments came to mind, but I'm not gonna say any of them. I
4: was telling someone earlier today. I was talking about our world and our reality, and I was saying. You know, one thing that I really love is that you have a very quick wit and that you have uh, passed that on to the children, that the boys, as they, I've noticed this in the past five years, as they've developed and grown, their wit has grown and developed. And I was saying to this person, you know, we laugh a lot, and I feel like that's such a great balance is that what you're doing is you're teaching a quickness of the mind like how to observe something and then immediately be able to speak to that and do it in a humorous way and I think that is a invaluable skill
0: well thank you I take that as a compliment it's a huge compliment that's why I don't laugh out loud much is because most humor moves too slow for me because I'm I'm already made that joke in five different ways inside of my head (laughs) <laughs> but really, also too, it's a, it's a, it's that I don't come from a boisterous, verbose, like outward projecting family. Yeah. So we're like the brethren in Garrison Keillor's uh, Prairie Home Companion stuff. We just kind of are very stoic, and so that's probably a part of it too.
4: But I think it's a great, as opposed to like weaponizing your body. It's a great. Way to engage with people that is extremely disarming is like being able to make someone laugh when maybe you don't necessarily get along with that person or for sure you you're kind of cutting through tension or cutting through something with humor, and I definitely see this like the honing of that with Nico, but i I also really see this quickening happening with Arvo where he's getting better and better and better at being funny, Mm -hmm. like quick, like seeing something and being able to like nail it in a very hilarious way. And I love that.
0: For sure. Uh, And sometimes I think that I, I, it takes me for some reason, although I should know way better now where your jokes land, like where there's where you mean them to land and where I, have them land, which is ham-handed and wrong half the time. So you're incredibly hilarious. You're funny as hell. You've got a great sense of humor and are very playful. So I need to be better about knowing where your jokes land and not thinking that they're landing someplace completely different.
4: I have the sense of humor of a 12-year-old boy, and that's great when you're a 12-year-old boy, it's confusing when you're a 54-year-old woman because people are like what the fuck are you talking about? What is what is that? Like what is where is that coming from? But I
0: should be used to that now. I but should know that.
4: It's great with the kids <laughs> because they know exactly where because it they lands. know exactly where I'm coming from and and so we have that that very uh, synergistic humor that is a lot of fun
0: well i'm admittedly too serious most of the time so
4: you're the dad so you you very much are like the adult in the group
2: <laughs> a lot a of the I, wanna, I equated adults
0: <laughs> with fuddy-duddies when i was growing up and still do like my peers <laughs> that i've known for years and years and years not you, Brett, uh, are all, I mean, not all, but, yeah. you know, they're fucking yeah. buddy fucking duddies. Yeah,
4: but I think part of it is that, that you have to keep the ship steered right direction we'll we'll go with that we'll go with that anyway but this is a great combo and i'm interested in in soft white underbelly that sounds like Mm -hmm. something that's
0: right up my alley too. i didn't understand jordan peterson is interviewing no
4: no 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 that that, no he pivoted to another Uh thing he said that this is a a channel a show that's on youtube called soft white underbelly
0: have to look into it, yeah.
4: So I wrote it down. Um, yeah, but I thought it was funny that I thought he said, uh, then knowing the name of your demon, <laughs> I was like, why would I want to know the name of my demon? <laughs> but uh, he said, Damon,
0: because you know not to say it, yeah, if you know the name of your demon,
4: right? But then I thought, you know, that's a way to, uh, you know, it's like, don't think of a pink elephant, but if you know the name of of some negative negative sphere or negative energy in you maybe it's a way of diffusing that instead of did not we? saying it maybe a way of of diminishing that that thing's power perhaps perhaps yeah i did want to get more into that the whole guardian angel uh greek astrology astrology aspect i wanted to ask him about sidereal astrology compared to Equal
0: House System, yeah, yada yada of stuff. yada. Not yeah. to mention his book on astral projection and um, lucid dreaming. Yeah, lots more to to pick old Mark's brain about.
4: Yeah, I like it. Yes, when you do that, it looks weird. Just okay, so you know on Thank the you. camera because we have to. No, we, I you've shifted the camera down. I was like, that is not good because I like to write and do stuff, and it just. I felt like that's... it made my hands. And then you were on the phone, and he was watching you, and you were on the phone. I was like, well, can we just? For 15 seconds. Yeah, we yeah. need to do a tech check before. I wasn't, before with I wasn't checking
0: messages. I was writing something on the grocery list. <laughs> <that> <laughs> I thought of randomly, <laughs> which I don't know if that's any better or not. Oh, but...
4: my God. Any I love you. Way. You're awesome. You're hilarious. Oh, I need... Uh cocoa puffs <laughs> I don't want eat cocoa puffs
0: okay thank you so much for tuning in hopefully you got something positive from this um, the melt podcast at protonmail.com or
4: hunter-muse at protonmail.com we <laughs> look at my you. little doggies up there I put the doggies up there they're so cute we love you we, we love do. you
0: thank you for listening or watching and uh, there's more fantastic stuff coming And keep suggesting guests because we've gotten a lot of great guests from patrons and listeners that's right throwing things in front of us so please don't hesitate
4: do it alright ta-ta yeah
0: thanks so much for making it this far if you've liked what you've heard and you are thus inspired to contribute to the well-being of the melt there are a few easy ways to do that The most tangible being financially, which can be achieved by clicking the Patreon or Locals link in the episode notes, and then you will be led through the process for starting your monthly subscription for a mere $5 a month. This will give you access to exclusive episodes, full-length episodes, and you can participate in our monthly Melt Meetups where we can congregate together as a community and often get a chance to talk with some of our guests more intimately. Another way to help out would be to go to wherever it is that you listen to the melts and either leave a favorable review or rating. You can also spread the word via sharing and recommendations to friends and family, either in person or virtually. And lastly, if none of those options are readily available or appealing to you, simply send your positive thoughts and intentions. In an interconnected and quantumly entangled multiverse, these also go a long way.